Hey guys, it's Allison editing, and I want to apologize for the sound quality. I tried using a different microphone, and it really didn't work out, and I don't have time to get the to redo the audio because I am already busy today, and I need to finish editing this episode, obviously, to get it out in time. So my bad, uh, the first two-thirds of the episode won't sound the best, but... It's better by the third of it, so thank you for your patience with me. Uh, the sa- I promise the sound next week will be better. But anyway, other than that, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and I hope you're having a good 2023 so far. Thank you, guys. Bye. everyone, and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host, Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. everyone and welcome back to bookish babbles this is officially episode 40 and other than the ranking episode sarah and i did last week this is the first episode of 2023 so happy new year everyone um has everyone set their new year's goals yet because i haven't because <laughs> you know only losers set their goals on new year's eve or day uh cool people who are chronic procrastinators uh, uh, wait, we, we, we get a feel for the new year. It takes, you know, five to seven business days or weeks to decide our goals. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I did set my, uh, Goodreads, uh, reading challenge goal. I set it for 59 books. No real reason other than I, d- I just like the look of the number 59. I don't know why, though I do plan on reading more than that. Um... Oh, and I have finished, uh, I finished Ruthless River, which I mentioned, uh, last week, uh, by Holly Fitzgerald. Um, I finished reading it for my book club, and the author happens to live in my area, so she came and spoke to us, and it was a really special night. Um, for those who don't know, this is a memoir, uh, Holly tells the story of her husband, Fitz, uh, surviving it in the Amazon jungle by themselves after getting lost on the Madre de Dios River. And it's their incredible story about survival, of course, but it's also their love story. Because reading it was, of course, incredible, but getting to meet Holly and hear her talk about it, uh, first of all, incredibly admirable putting herself out there like that and talking about this insane and freaking traumatic thing that happened. And hearing her talk about it, like, it brought it to life more, you know, made it feel more real, because even though I knew while reading it, it was obviously a memoir, I knew these things happened, and she obviously survived since she wrote the book, but I don't know, like, when it's just words on a page, there's still almost this level of separation in in a way, because it's easier to see them as characters, and then you meet her, and she's she's a real person, not a character, I I hope I'm making sense. Anyway, uh, it's a great book. You should read it. But also, if you're someone like me who gets really anxious reading and or watching survival stories, uh, proceed with caution. 
I forgot how stressed I get with those. It may or may not have triggered a couple panic attacks. Anyway, um, a slightly less stressful book I also finished is uh, Miss uh, Demeanor by Eleonora Lippmann. Um, it's about a woman who's a lawyer uh, spotted doing the old uh, devil's tango on top of her apartment building with someone from work and is arrested for public indecency or whatever. Um, he, the dude, just has to pay a fine and gets to keep his job. However, our main character, Jane, is under house arrest for six months and loses her job, and she can't leave the apartment building. Uh, meets another guy in the building who's also under house arrest, and her romance may or may not ensue. I don't know what that voice was. Uh, just you're going to have to live with it. Um, anyway, um, Jane also started uh, making... Uh, cooking videos for TikTok uh, with her twin sister cheering her on. I thought that was cool. And I really guess I'm reading it. I I recommend It's not a very long book. It's like under, did it reach 300 pages? I don't know. The point is it's definitely like on the shorter side. So it was a nice, fun read. Um, and, I, and I'm currently reading A Man Called Ove because Sarah and I are seeing the movie adaptation this weekend. Although they changed the name to A Man Called Otto, but whatever tom hanks is in the movie so it, 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 it's fine i'll i'll deal with it but anyway i think it's time to stop talking about books that this episode isn't about uh we're talking about chapters 10 to 12 of mockingjay by suzanne collins Woo! and uh we are on part two the assault dun 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 Anyway, so last time, uh, Katniss goes to District 8 and gives a fiery speech after a bombing. Uh, they visit District 12. Katniss sings the hanging tree. During his uh, final interview, Peta shouts a warning that they'll be dead by morning and ends up ends with him getting uh, beaten bloody. Yay! <laughs> this week, uh, air raid attack incoming. Uh, Katniss can no longer perform as the Mockingjay, and a rescue mission goes underway. So with that being said, let's dive into Chapter 10. Okay, so like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, we are in part two, The Assault. Uh, chapter 10 picks up right where we left off. Uh, Katniss watches uh, Peta on screen getting beat up, and the room's in a little bit of chaos. And because the writing is good, I'm, I'm going to read the first page because that's what I do on this podcast. The screen begins, yeah, take two. The screen begins in my lower back and works its way up through my body only to jam in my throat. I am Avox mute, choking on my grief. Even if I could release the muscles in my neck, let the sound tear in, into space, would anyone notice it? The room's in an uproar. Questions and demands ri- ring out as they try to decipher Peter's words. And you, in 13, dead by morning. Yet no one is asking about the messenger whose blood has been replaced by static. A voice calls the others to attention. Shut up! Every pair of eyes falls on Hamish. It's not some big mystery. The boy's telling us we're about to be attacked. Here, in 13. How would he have that information? Why should we trust him? How do you know? Hamish gives a growl of frustration. They're beating him bloody while we speak. What more do you need? Katniss, help me out here. I have to give myself a shake to free my words. Hamish is right. I don't know where Peter got the information, or if it's true, but he believes it is, and they're 
I can't say aloud what Snow's doing to him. So yeah, all all, all that happened. Yikes. Uh, Coin at least doesn't completely dismiss this. Um, so say what you want about her, but at least she's not completely stupid. Uh, Coin thinks it over, and in the end, she decides it's time for a level level five security drill. Basically, everyone goes under into the underground bunker for lockdown. Excuse me. Uh, we get a little exposition about how, in the time since Katniss arrived in 13, there have been two air raid drills, a level one and a level two. The first one, Katniss, was still out of it at the hospital, and patients were excused from the drill since it would be a waste of time or whatever. And the second one, they were just supposed to go back to their compartments, but Katniss hid in the laundry room. Uh, so needless to say, she's pretty startled by the piercing sirens. Yeah. You know, noises like that generally aren't good for someone with PTSD. So, anyway, uh, Boggs guides her and Finnick to where they need to go. And to make the whole situation even more stressful for Katniss, they're going uh, coal miner level deep underground, which, you know, makes sense for their situation. But, again, isn't so great for her PTSD, because let's not forget that her father died in a mining accident. And she's been low-key scared of going underground ever since. I say low-key, but we learned that during the annual field trip, you know, when the District 12 kids um, will go into the mines, Candace had a panic attack so bad that it made her physically ill. <laughs> Yay, mental illness. Um, Boggs directs them on how to find their assigned area. The number will be the same as their living quarters. Katniss also notes how there's a bathroom, first aid, and kitchen area, clearly made for an extended stay. And on her way to her bunk, Katniss runs into Plutarch, whose mood hasn't been affected at all by recent events. Wonder what it's like to be that good at compartmentalizing everything. You know, like, you know how they say, like, uh, don't bring work from home and vice versa or whatever, like, no matter the personal stuff you have going on, you're not supposed to let it affect your work or whatever. Yeah, I can't do that. Uh, anyway, so Plutarch tells Katniss that people in the bunker will be looking to her and she should, you know, stay calm so others do as well. Now, he's right, of course, but um, downgrading, but he's also downgrading what's happening to PETA as a quote-unquote setback. And yeah, Katniss is rightfully a bit irritated at him right now. And he says bye to Katniss because he needs to get the coin before the lockdown officially starts. Um, when Katniss gets to her bunk, she finds a piece of paper with instructions for, you know, the whole protocol. First, uh, she has to make sure all members of her compartment are accounted for. Prim and her mother aren't there yet. But Katniss tells herself that she was one of the first to arrive and they were probably helping patients move, so no need to panic. Yet. Uh, next, they have to go to the supply station and secure one pack for each member of their compartment and ready the living area and then return the packs. Uh, Katniss gets her stuff and notices that people may or, not be, may or may not be following her example after all. Uh, she gets their stuff set up. Uh, includes like toiletries, change of clothes, uh, bedding, and a mattress for the floor. And the last step is just to await further instructions. As more people file in, Katniss is naturally anxious and continues 
not to see her family. But soon she does see her mother, but no sign of Prim. Mrs. Everdeen also has no idea where Prim is, saying that she had been sent down ahead of most of the hospital staff, and Katniss quickly realizes that Prim would have gone back for Buttercup. And then Katniss and Mrs. Everdeen are pushing against the crowd back to the entrance looking for any sign of Prim. Uh, Katniss sees that they're getting ready to close the big metal doors, and she has a good feeling that once they're closed, no one will open them until the air raid's over. So Katniss shouts for them to wait and throws herself in the way, uh, stopping the doors in place with her body, yelling for Prim. And then thankfully, she hears Prim and Gail running down the stairs, and Katniss holds the door until they're safe inside. Katniss naturally is, you know, panicky, yelling at Prim, hugging her at the same time. And even tells Buttercup, I should have drowned you when I had the chance. So I see their loving relationship is strong as ever. And Buttercup is also a petty bitch because he immediately starts meowing all cute and get to get Prim on his side. And it works because Prim is all like, oh, no, Katniss, don't tease him. He's already upset. For the record, this is the exact dynamic between me, my dad, and my dog. I am Prim in this situation. and. You know, as stupid as as it might have been to go back for the cat, I would have gone back for Ray. So, I get it, Prim. Anyway, uh, Katniss um wants to insult Buttercup more, but she realizes how upset Prim is, so she keeps it to herself, and instead imagines him as a pair of fur gloves. Apparently, she used this image many times over the years. Um, Gail also did the only possible useful thing in this entire book. Uh, but, but okay, all joking aside, this was actually a good thing. Because while he was helping Prim, he also rescued uh, some stuff from their compartment. Since with their quarters being so close to the surface, they had, you know, the stuff had, really had no chance of surviving. He saved the medical supplies, the family book. Uh, the personal stuff in Katniss's drawer, including the pearl Peter gave her, by the way. Um, also, the her dad's hunting jacket, the wedding photo. So, we have Gail to thank for them having the family book and the epilogue, which is, an, which is an important tool they use to help heal themselves. Also, it's very ironic that Gail saves Prim's life from a bombing here, but, you know, at the end of the book is indirectly responsible for a different bombing that, um, you know, uh, ends her subscription to life. <laughs> anyway, uh, Katniss and her family uh, head back to their bunk, uh, Katniss trying to appear as calm as possible with everyone watching her. Uh, then again, they did just see her run across the room like a madwoman, so not sure you're fooling anyone, Katniss. She even hisses at a man who she elbowed in the face on her way to, you know, stop the doors from closing. Um, so Coin's voice uh, comes on the intercom, congratulating them for a job well done, saying that Peter was right, this is not a drill. Uh, bombs start dropping, and everyone starts low-key panicking a bit, since, you know, I think any of us would in this situation. Uh, Katniss starts to freak out a little bit due to, again, previously mentioned trauma of father dying underground uh, in a mining accident. Uh, Prim explains that the capital is probably dropping missiles designed to penetrate into the ground, and, you know, that, that doesn't help. Um, and their mom 
uh, does her best to comfort them by saying, you know, oh, we're probably far down enough where, um, you know, we'll be fine, um, but probably is not good enough for me. I would not be calm in this situation. You'd have to knock me out and give me a lot of Xanax. <laughs> anyway, um, after a comment that um, Mrs. Everdeen makes about how lucky they are, PETA was able to warn them, uh, Kenneth starts thinking about the way PETA looked on screen. She describes him as uh, seeming to have been waging a sort of battle in his mind, fighting to get the message out. Why? The ease in which he manipulated words is his greatest talent. Was his difficulty a result of his torture? Something more like madness? Yeah, this is painful knowing what we know now. Anyway, uh, a soldier notifies Mrs. Everdeen that she's needed in the first aid section. So Katniss, Buttercup, and Prim are left to, I don't know, rest, stay calm. Uh, but despite the not-so-ideal conditions, um, Katniss is kind of glad she gets she gets to spend some quality time with her sister because she realizes that, really, since her first games, uh, she hasn't really paid as much attention to Prim as she used to, which is understandable, you know. Katniss has recently been through, you know, an insane amount of trauma, and that's, that's, that's what trauma does to you. You're not the same person, and you can't do the things that you were able to do before, and it sucks. And it's like a couple pages left of this chapter, so I'll just read it because, you know, that's what I do. Um, so I'm going to start reading on page um, 149 to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to start with Katniss saying to Prim, um, so how are you liking 13, Prim? I'm off, I offer right now, she asked. We both laughed. I miss home badly sometimes. But then I remember there's nothing left to miss anymore. I feel safer here. We don't have to worry about you. Well, not the same way. She pauses, then a shy smile crosses her lips. I think they're going to train me to be a doctor. It's the first I've heard of it. Well, of course they are. They'd be stupid not to. They've been watching me when I help out in the hospital. I'm already taking the medic courses. It's just beginner stuff. I know, I know a lot of it from home. Still, there's plenty to learn, she tells me. That's great, I say. Prim, a doctor. She couldn't even dream of it in 12. Something small and quiet, like a match being struck, lights up to the gleam inside me. This is the sort of future a rebellion could bring. What about you, Katniss? How are you managing? Her fingertip moves in short, gentle strokes between Buttercup's eyes. And don't say you're fine. It's true. Whatever the opposite of fine is, that's what I am. So I go ahead and tell her about PETA, his deterioration on screen, and how I think they must be killing him at this very moment. Buttercup has to rela Buttercup has to rely on himself for a while because now Prim turns her, her attention to me, pulling me closer, brushing the hair behind my ears with her fingers. I stop talking because there's really nothing left to say, and there's this piercing sort of pain where my heart is. Maybe I'm even having a heart attack but it doesn't seem worth mentioning. Katniss, I don't think President Snow will kill Peta, she says. Of course she says this. It's what she thinks will calm me, but her next words come as a surprise. If he does, he won't have anyone left you want. He won't have any, any way to hurt you. Suddenly, I'm reminded of another girl who has seen all the evil the Capitol has to offer, Joanna Mason, the tribute from District 7 in the last arena. 
I was trying to prevent her from going into the jungle where the Jabberjays mimicked the voices of loved ones being tortured, but she brushed me off, saying, They can't hurt me. I'm not like the rest of you. There's no one left I love. Then I know Prim is right, that Snow cannot afford to waste Peta's life, especially now while the Mockingjay causes so much havoc. He's killed Sinna already, destroyed my home, my family, Gale, and even Hamish are out of his reach. Pete is all he has left. So what do you think they'll do to him, I ask. Prim sounds about a thousand years old when she speaks. Whatever it takes to break you. So speaking of breaks, uh, with that cheerful thought, uh, it's break time. So uh, we'll uh, unpack uh, all that in the next chapter. We are back, and I'm going to read the opening paragraph, because it's what I do. Paragraph in Chapter 11 says, What will break me? This is the question that consumes me over the next three days as we wait to be released from our prison of safety. What will break me into a million pieces so that I am beyond repair, beyond usefulness? I mention it to no one, but it devours my waking hours and weaves itself throughout my nightmares. I feel I feel like at this point we could probably make a drinking game out of take a shot every time Allison says Katniss is not doing great because Katniss is not doing great. And also I completely forgot that in the book this raid lasts for multiple days because I'm pretty sure in the movie it's one night. I mean, we'll find out because I have to rewatch it soon anyway. Um, which is just, you know, further proof that I've reread Mockingjay the least amount of times out of all the books in this series. Like, I've read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes more times than I've read Mockingjay. Um, anyway, we get some exposition about what's been happening over those days. Um, four more missiles are dropped. Uh, Katniss notes how there isn't an urgency to the way the missiles are dropped because they're spread out in a way where you think, okay, it's over, but then bang, another one. And, um, Katniss comes to the conclusion that this is just meant to cripple 13, not completely destroy it, because they do have resources that the capital will want and they'll take, you know, should they win the war. Um, during their time underground, they're given very little new information. Uh, their screens never come on. They know that the war is still going on, but other than that, they're in the dark, and all they get are updates from COIN telling them the nature of the bombs. Uh, in the bunker, everyone follows a strict schedule for meals, um, bathing, exercising, and sleep. There's even periods where everyone's allowed to mingle. And thanks to Buttercup, uh, the Everdeen's uh, area becomes a popular place. And every evening they play Crazy Cat, a game Katniss invented a few years ago. Basically just, you know, wiggle flashlight around the room and watch Buttercup chase it. Uh, Katniss admits that she's petty enough to like it because she thinks it makes Buttercup look stupid. And how important is this game of Crazy Cat to the citizens of 13, you ask? Well, Katniss is issued a special set of batteries for her flashlight. So that's how desperate everyone is for entertainment. Anyway, um, on night three of playing Crazy Cat, Katniss realizes that the game is a metaphor for her situation. She's the cat. The light is the thing she wants desperately, a.k.a. PETA. 
and it's always just out of reach and driving her mad. And as Katniss puts it on page 154, um, maybe this realization in my part is all Snow needs. Thinking that Peta was in his possession and being tortured for rebel information was bad, but thinking that he's being tortured specifically to incapacitate uh, me is unendurable. And it's under the weight of this revelation that I truly begin to break. Yeah, that's really rough, buddy. I don't, I don't really know what more to say to that. Um. Anyway, uh. So with that wonderful thought, uh, Katniss goes to bed. Her family insists that she sleep on the floor mattress since she has a tendency to thrash in her sleep due to her nightmares. But for once, she doesn't thrash. Um. She's barely holding herself together. Eventually, she gets up and finds Finnick because she knows on some level he'll understand what she's going through and feeling. And he's awake under the safety light in his space, nodding his rope. When Katniss tells him her elevation, Finnick doesn't seem surprised at all. And Katniss realizes that Snow's doing the same same thing to Finnick with Annie, hence why he's not been in the best mental state, and even apologizes to Katniss for not warning her about the situation somehow. And I'll just read their conversation, because um, it's a good one. Uh, it starts on page uh, 155. Suddenly a memory surfaces. I'm strapped to my bed, mad with rage and grief after the rescue. Finnick is trying to console me about PETA. They'll figure out he doesn't know anything pretty fast, and they won't kill him if they think they can use him against you. You did warn me, though. On the hovercraft, only when you said they'd use PETA against me, I thought you meant like bait to lure me to the capital somehow, I say. I shouldn't have said even that. It was too late for it to be of any help to you, since I hadn't warned you, warned you before the quarter quell. I should have shut up about how snow operates. Finnick yanks on the end of his rope, and an intricate knot becomes a straight line again. It's just that I didn't understand when I met you. After your first game, I thought the whole romance was an act on your part. We all expected you to you'd continue that strategy, but it wasn't until Peter hit the force field and nearly died that I. Finnick hesitates. I think back to the arena, how I sobbed when Finnick revised Peter, the quizzical look on Finnick's face the way he excused my behavior, blaming it on my pretend pregnancy. That you what? That I knew I'd misjudged you. That you do love him. I'm not saying in what way. Maybe you don't know yourself, but anyone paying attention could see how much you care about him, he says gently. Anyone? On Snow's visit before the victory tour, he challenged me to erase any doubts of my love for Peta. Convince me, Snow said. It seemed under that hot pink sky with Peter's life in limbo, I finally did. And in doing so, I gave him the weapon he needed to break me. Finnick and I sit for a long time in silence, watching the knots bloom and vanish before I can ask, How do you bear it? Finnick looks at me in disbelief. I don't, Katniss. Obviously, I don't. I drag myself out of nightmares each morning and find there's no relief in waking. Something in my expression stops him. Better not to give in to it. It takes ten, ten times as long to put yourself back together as it does to fall apart. Well, he must know. I take a deep breath, forcing myself back into one piece. The more you can distract yourself, the better, he says. First thing tomorrow, we'll get you your own rope. Until then, take mine. 
I spent the rest of the night on my mattress, obsessively making knots, holding them up for buttercup's inspection. If one looks suspicious, he swipes it out of the air and bites it a few times to make sure it's dead. By morning, my fingers are sore, but I'm still holding on. I mean, all I can say is that Finnick is right about needing to distract yourself. Very important. Um, during a lockdown in 2020, I did a lot of coloring, and I had podcasts and YouTube videos playing in the background. It was really helpful. Um, maybe I should make that the question of the week. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, um, which according to Anchor, about half of you are, uh, you can see when I post a poll or a question, and I sometimes make one. Uh, but I will post a question this week. Um, what activity did you do to distract yourself during quarantine? Um, anyway, so once um, 24 hours passes without any bombs, they can leave the bunker, and Katniss and her family have been assigned a new living quarter since um, theirs was destroyed. Um, this is the second time they have moved in this book. Um on their way to their new home, Boggs pulls Katniss and Finnick aside and takes them to special defense, um, which uh, the room looks almost identical to command, by the way. Um, Hamish, Plutarch, Cressida, Coiner there. Everyone is notably exhausted, and they even broke out the coffee, which is how you know how tired everyone is. Uh, Coin tells them that they need to get above ground, and they have two hours to show the damage, and the 13 is alive and well, and of course that Mockingjay is too. Um, Katniss and Finnick also get coffee, and like me, Katniss finds the coffee infinitely uh, better when cream is added. Seriously, anyone who can just drink coffee black, you and I are built differently. <laughs> That's all I'll say to that. Um, also, does this mean that in the times Katniss has tried coffee, no one thought to put cream or sugar in it? That is cruel and unusual. Oh, and there's also this really um, sweet callback to when um, Katniss and Finnick met for the first time, you know, when he offered her a sugar cube by the chariots before the parade. Um, Finnick put the sugar cube in her coffee, and like I said, it's just a really sweet moment. And Finnick is the friend to Katniss that Gale should have always been. Speaking of Gale, he has the audacity to get jealous in this moment, too. He thankfully doesn't say anything, though Katniss is, is internally thinking, fuck you, Gail, think whatever you fucking want, got enough shit going on as it is. Totally a quote from the book, guys, I swear. Um, but in all seriousness, this makes me angry. Like, Gail, she told you in the last book she doesn't have any room to think about anyone in a romantic way. There's a big bad war going on, and people she loves keep ending up in dangerous situations. God forbid she seek out someone who understands what she's going through who has had a similar traumatic experience. Anyway, ugh, the prep team, um, oh wait, the, the, the ding on the Gale red flag counter, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, the prep team uh, gets Katniss ready to film and Katniss truly discovers the magic of caffeine because it really helps her wake up. And she's really relieved to be outside since uh, being stuck in an underground bunker uh, multiple days in a row, really rough. 
Uh, we also find out that September will be starting the following week, um, meaning that Katniss has been in 13 for about five to six weeks, meaning Pete has been in the capital for that long, meaning they've done a lot of damage to him in that short amount of time. Yikes. I won't go into too much detail of all the damage, but yeah, the surface took a hit. Let's just say that. Um, we also learned that Pete's warning had given them an extra 10 minutes, which is huge and definitely saved Gail and Crim's lives. Uh, Cressida has a Katniss film in front of the ruins of the Justice Building, which is meant to be, you know, a joke since for years, whenever the Capitol showed footage of a reporter, of a reporter uh, standing at the ruins in 13, and I say that last part in air quotes, because in reality, the reporter was just, you know, green screened in. Um, on their way to the entrance uh, where they're going to film Katniss, uh, Gail sees something, and there are roses everywhere on the ground. Also, side note, it's a tiny change from the book to the movie. Uh, this part in the movie, the roses were all white, but here they're red and pink. Um, personally, like the movies take better, plus I think it visually looks better, but there is intention behind the colors here because um, Katniss notes that they're the same ones that that were on the set where they did, where she and Peta did their first um, post uh, victory interview after the Hunger Games. So yikes! Uh, they clear the roses away, and as far as anyone can tell, the roses are harmless, but they're just there to unhinge Katniss, um, just like how you know beating the shit out of Cinna right before going into the quell would unhinge her. But unlike that time. Katniss isn't quite able to pull herself together. Then again, uh, no one here is going to actively try to kill her, so adrenaline definitely helps. Um, well, at the cousin at that time she was a uh, bit worse. Take two. Um, and at that time she was motivated and capable of protecting Peta. Now. She knows that what she's doing will lead to more harm on him, so she's not doing so great. Um, all Katniss uh, needs to do is just say a couple lines about how she and 13 are alive and well, but she can't even do that. And even um, the Q&A thing they did that you know triggered her epic speech in 8 doesn't work. And I'm just going to do a quick reading from page 162. Um, I swing my arms to loosen myself up, place my fists on my hips, then drop them to my sides. Saliva is filling my mouth at a ridiculous rate, and I feel vomit at the back of my throat. I swallow hard and open my lips so I can get the stupid line out and go hide in the woods, and that's when I start crying. It's impossible to be the Mockingjay, impossible to complete even this one sentence because now I know that everything I say will be directly taken out on PETA, result in his torture, but not his death. No, nothing so merciful as that. Snow will ensure that his life is much worse than death. Cut, I hear Cressida say quietly. What's wrong with her? Plutarch says under his breath. She's figured out how Snow's using PETA, Phoenix says. There's something like a collective sigh of regret from the semicircle of people spread out before me, because I know this now. Because there will never be a way for me to not know this again. Because beyond the military disadvantage, losing a Mockingjay entails, I am broken. Again, this is a lot. Um, Hamage ends up uh, 
comforting her, and he's the only one Katniss wants since he's the the only one there who really loves PETA like she does. Wait, hold on. Wait, no, not in the exact same way, but you get it. The three of them are family. That came out weird. Anyway, um, uh, Katniss has a big emotional breakdown slash panic attack, and they have to sedate her, and she's out for a whole day. And when she wakes up in the hospital, Hamish is there and um, tells her that there's a rescue mission underway to get PETA out of the capital. And it's a volunteer-only mission. And that, you know, some covers are going to be blown, but it'll be worth the risk. and Because, you know, they can't function if Katniss isn't the Mockingjay anymore. And Boggs is leading is leading the mission. And um, also, shout out to Hamish because he apparently did raise his hand to volunteer. But you know, Boggs is clearly a good judge of what is clearly like a good judge of what to do for missions because he doesn't pick Hamish. He pretends not to see his hand raised. But of course, um, Gail was the first person to volunteer. So, oh boy. But anyway. Uh, time for a break. Uh, we'll um, see what happens when we get back. Uh, lots of things are going to happen. It's going to be great. Hey guys, it's Allison. I just wanted to give a trigger warning for this next part of the episode because we will be touching on of course um you know sexual sexual assault so if that is something that you don't want to hear about um feel free to just skip to skip it i will put i will do my best to put accurate timestamps in the show notes but yeah just wanted to you guys to get a heads up on that one anyway back to the show okay we are back um I decided not to use the earbud microphone because I played back and I didn't like the sound too much, but whatever. Um, So Katniss is still uh, low-key panicking, as any of us would, I think. Especially since there's a good chance she could lose both Gail and Peta on the same day, which would suck. I mean, I don't think losing Gail will be that bad, but he's still important to Katniss, uh, whether we like it or not. So it's a tragedy for her, not the rest of us. And and knowing the toll like um this waiting will take on her, Hamich um asked Katniss if she wants to be sedated until the mission is over, which I personally would. Um and he's not kidding, he's dead serious. Uh, this is a man who has spent years using alcohol to numb himself in order to deal with all the trauma that the Capitol put him through. But all Katniss wants to do is to go to the Capitol to help with the mission, which, of course, they'll never let her do. But Hamish does go to talk to Plutarch to see if there is anything Katniss can do to help so she doesn't go crazy. Um, Though Hamish has barely made it down the hall before Katniss gets out of bed because she's very impatient. And she finds Phoenix sprawled out on his bed and the news seems to bring Phoenix some relief because one way or another it'll all be over and it's a dark thought but Katniss also feels a little better too anyway uh soon Hamish returns uh with a job for them to do uh they need to make uh post bombing uh propos within the next few hours it'll give 
BD something new to air during the lead up to the rescue and it can help, you know, make a good distraction. Uh, something so good that it would even hold Snow's attention. So after breakfast, they assemble above ground. Cressida asks Katniss um, questions about PETA and Katniss finally starts to open up uh, and uh, be a bit vulnerable in an interview. The thing Hamish has been asking her to do since all the way back in book one. Um, Katniss tells the story about, you know, how she and PETA met and how he saved her life with the bread and even, you know, took a beating for her, which was huge. And on page um, 169, Cressida Ask Katniss, how are you doing with the separation? And Katniss says, not well. I know at any moment Snow could kill him, especially since he warned 13 about the bombing. It's a terrible thing to live with, I say. But because of what they're putting him through, I don't have any reservations anymore about doing whatever it takes to destroy the capital. I'm finally free. I turn my gaze skyward and watch the flight of a hawk across the sky. President Snow once admitted to me that the capital was fragile, at the time, I didn't know what he meant. It was hard to see clearly because I was so afraid. Now I'm not. The capital's fragile because it depends on the districts for everything. Food, energy, even the peacekeepers that police us. If we declare our freedom, the capital collapses. President Snow, thanks to you, I'm officially declaring mine today. I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's a pretty underrated speech, and I like it. Um, everyone, of course, loves, you know, the story with the bread, but and her speech uh, gave Plutarch an idea, and now it's Finnick's turn to speak. Um, there's even a sweet moment where Hamish says to Finnick, um, you don't have to do this, but Finnick insists that um, he will, since, you know, it could help her, meaning Annie, of course. And I just love the way Hamish... Um, is always looking out for the other victors. Uh, Katniss is, expects Finnick to, of course, tell a story about Annie or any abuse that happens in District 4, but he tells a completely different story instead, one revolving around President Snow. And this next part is honestly always the hardest part of the book to read and is really hard to talk about. Um, definitely putting a trigger warning. Note that in editing, Allison. Um, so Finnick goes on to talk about how after he won his games, President Snow essentially forced him into prostitution. And Finnick wasn't the only victor who had this done to him. He was just the most popular. Basically, someone wealthy in the capital could pay to um spend time with whichever victor they found desirable. And Snow would tell said Victor, hey, do this or I'll kill someone you love. So the whole idea that Finnick had a string of lovers in the capital, totally an act on his part. And I don't know what the other Victor's experiences with this were, but for Finnick, at least, some of his um, patrons would give him presents to make themselves feel better, which tells me that they knew of the situation, like, but... But did it anyway. They were just, you know, trying to lessen their guilt or whatever. And they, of course, offered him things like money and jewels. But Finnick found something more valuable than either of those things, which was secrets. Many of them about President Snow. 
And this is probably when Snow started really panicking because he knows exactly who had bought time with Finnick and who could know certain secrets he wouldn't want people to know about. So now uh, Finnick goes on to reveal, you know, tales of sexual appetites, betrayals, um, greed, and bloody power plays, even incest. And people told him since Finnick, you know, didn't have any real power because, you know, even though he had the celebrity of being a victor, he's still from the districts. No one would really believe him if he told someone anyway. People are listening now. And Katniss doesn't recognize the names of the people Finnick mentions, but, you know, for people from the capital, like Plutarch and Fulvia, it's pretty significant. And now for the good stuff, President Snow. Personally, I wouldn't mind a whole book talking about Snow's rise to political power. Like, I want to know which of his classmates he ends up betraying and poisoning. Oh yeah, Finnick reveals Snow has a tendency to poison people, which, you know, we saw him do at the end of Ballad. He killed both enemies and allies who he thought could be a threat later on. And again, how many classmates did we, we meet in Ballad ended up being poisoned? Um, but to make sure that no one was suspicious of him, Snow made sure to drink from the same cup, but he kept the antidote on hand so he could take it. But the sores on his throat never quite heal, so that's why he always has a rose to cover the smell of blood. Yeah, really dark shit. And, and like, this is hard to read. Um, Not the poisoning part, obviously, but, um, I mean, that's bad. But all the stuff that Finnick has to go through, how he has, he's forced to prostitute himself in order to protect his loved ones. And, and you know, in recent years, thank, thanks to um, the efforts behind the Me Too movement, we are talking more about you know sexual assault and abuse and especially for women because it is most likely to happen to women and that's amazing more stories are being written about it we're talking about it more but we don't talk enough about you know about men because for this because they can be assaulted too um and it's and it's really sad and there's more shame revolved around you know, if you're a man and you're assaulted because there's this whole, like, because it's uh, this very dumb and horrible, like, st- how do I say, stereotype um, about how, you know, women are supposed to be, like, you know, virgins who don't want sex or whatever, but men, they're supposed to like it. So, you know, if a man is assaulted, there's more taboo and shame behind it because it's like, this is something you're supposed to want, but no, that's so messed up. And so it's even harder for them to speak out. So the fact that this subplot exists in this series, like, they, like I'm glad Suzanne included this. And because and it is such a popular series, um, it validates that experience for anyone who unfortunately had it happen to them, especially for guys. Because, again there's unfortunately more shame for them and it, they, they shouldn't because you didn't and this um man woman however you however you identify if you are a victim of sexual assault out there i am so sorry that happened to you that i don't have words to express how sorry i am and it is not your fault 
you should you should not feel ashamed because you're not the one who did that someone else did that to you and i'm so sorry it's just the system that makes you feel ashamed and you shouldn't and i'm so sorry um anyway i'm getting i didn't expect to get this emotional during a recording oh boy um i have no idea where i left off because that's a lot okay um yeah there's no way to smoothly transition out of that so we're just gonna have to continue um so once they're done um their crew goes off to edit the footage plutarch pulls finnick aside because he has a lot of questions um katniss um then asks hamish if that's what happened to him um you know the whole were you forced to do that um but hamish says no because like two weeks after his games when he did that whole stunt with the force field that you know snow did not like very much um he uh hamish's uh, brother his mother and his girlfriend they were all executed so he lost all of them there was no one for snow to hold over Hamish, so Hamish didn't have to do that but you know he still suffered since you know everyone he loves was dead um Hamish was just held up as a as he put it a warning to all the young phoenix joannas and cashmeres and obviously explains why Joanna says in Catching Fire, there's no one left she loves because it's likely she refused to do that. And then her family was killed. And hence why she's alone and the Jabberjays couldn't hurt her. And it is interesting that um, that Hamish mentioned Kashmir because, you know, she was the victor from District 1 we met in the quarter quell. And... From my understanding, I feel like her and her brother Gloss, like, they're the only family that each other has left. So, I imagine they probably had the same fate as Finnick. And, uh, it's just, it's awful. Holy shit. So, like, even, because, you know, they're, they were the career districts. They were favored. And, you know, unfortunately, yeah, that happened. Fuck, this is all fucked up. No wonder, um... District 1 also, you know, kind of joined in once the rebellion got going. Because, so, cause pro- like, the ones, the, it's always described as the tributes from District 1 being, like, they tend to be the most, like, beautiful or whatever. So, it's no wonder they're pissed at the Capitol enough to join the rebellion at some point because so many of their victors have been assaulted. Yay! <sighs> Everything sucks in Pan Am. And what's also sad is that the same thing probably would have happened to Katniss had she won by herself if, you know, having PETA theirs and if her and PETA, like, weren't the famous star-crossed lovers, like, you know, that probably kept people away. Oh my god, this is, this is fucked up. Okay, um, I need to move on from this because I'm just getting really, really sad. Um, okay, so with their job being done, um, junk my dish TV uh junk mail um so with their job being done katniss and finnick now have nothing else to do and they make more knots um then the propo airs most understandably featuring finnick because yikesa 
and not much else happens for a couple pages other than just anxiously waiting. So I'm just going to read from page uh, 175 to the end. It must be midnight. It must be tomorrow when Hamish pushes the door, pushes open the door. They're back. We're wanted in the hospital. My mouth falls open with a flood of questions that he cuts off with, that's all I know. I want to run, but Finnick's acting so strained, as if, as if he's lost the ability to move, so I take his hand and lead him like a small child, through special defense, into the elevator that goes this way and that and on to the hospital wing. The place is in an uproar, with doctors shouting orders and the wounded being wheeled through the halls in their beds. We're sideswept by a gurney bearing an unconscious, emaciated young woman with a shaved head. Her flesh shows bruises and oozing scabs. Joanna Mason, who actually knew rebel secrets, at least the ones about me, and this is how she has paid for it. Through the doorway, I catch a glimpse of Gale, stripped to the waist, per perspiration streaming down his face as Doctor removes something from under his, under his shoulder blade with a long pair of tweezers. Wounded, but alive. I call his name, start toward him, until a nurse pushes me back and shuts me out. Finnick! Something between a shriek and a cry of joy. A lovely, if somewhat beraggled young woman, dark tangled hair, sea green eyes, runs toward us in nothing but a sheet. Finnick! And suddenly, it's as if there's no one in the world but these two, crash crashing through space to reach each other. They collide enfold, lose their balance, and slam against the wall where they stay, clinging into one being, indivisible. A pang of jealousy hits me, not for either Finnick or Annie, but for their certainty. No one seeing them could doubt their love. Boggs looks a little worse for wear, but uninjured, finds Hamish and me. We, we got them all out, except Anabaria, but since she's from Chu, we doubt she's being held anyway. Pete is at the end of the hall. The effects of the gas are just wearing off. You should be there when he wakes. Peta, alive and well, maybe not well, but alive and here, away from snow, safe, here with me. In a minute, I can touch him, see him smile, hear his laugh. Hamish is gr grinning at me. Come on then, he says. I'm lightheaded with giddiness. What will I say? Oh, who cares what I say? Peta will be ecstatic no matter what I do. He'll probably be kissing me anyway. I wonder if it will feel like those last kisses on the beach in the arena, the ones I haven't dared let myself consider until this moment. Pete is awake already, sitting on the side of the bed, looking bewildered as a trio of doctors reassure him, flash lights in his eyes, and check his pulse. I'm disappointed mine was not the first face he saw when he woke, but he sees it now. His features register disbelief and something more intense that I can't quite place. Desire? Desperation? Uh, surely both, for he sweeps the doctors aside, leaps to his feet, and moves toward me. I run to meet him, my arms extended to embrace him. His hands are reaching for me, too, to caress my face, I think. My lips are just forming his name when his fingers lock around my throat. Ah! Yep, I'm not okay. I'm not going to be okay. I'm certainly not going to be okay next week when I have to unpack the aftermath of all this bullshit because this is where it ends. Okay. Um, I need to wrap up. How do I close an episode? I never know. I feel like I ask that every week, guys. Um, at this point, it is kind of a bit, but I swear every time I am not sure what to do toward the end. Okay. Um, 
So next time, we're going to unpack the next three chapters, which is the 13 to 15. I, I can count. And yikesa. So... So yeah, uh, don't forget to check out the question of the week if you're listening on Spotify. Um, the links to, of course, the podcast, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube channel are on there. And definitely um, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't, because I do plan on making some... Because well, um, I know I said at the beginning I didn't have my goals planned, but actually one goal I do have planned is to do more bonus content on YouTube and actually make videos because I got a gorgeous new setup uh, set up at my grandparents' house where I'm going to do a lot of work for the podcast um, that'll be in a video. So link to the my YouTube channel in the show notes. Um, and, you know, might have one or two exciting announcements I want to make soon. So definitely be following me on the social medias. Um if you're on if you're listening on Apple Podcast, um rate and review. If you leave a five star review, um, I will read it on the show. I I don't care what the review says, as long as it's just marked as a five stars, I will read it on the show and I will get some joy out of it. <laughs> um But yeah, um I hope everyone's twenty twenty three is off to a good start. Um Thank you all so much for listening, of course. I really appreciate it. I still can't believe it's 2023 and that we're getting the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes movie this year. Guys, holy shit, holy shit. I'm going to lose my mind. I will scream. It will be great. Um, Anyway, I hope you all have a great day slash night and I will talk to you next time. Bye! Katniss tells the story how she and Peta met, how he saved her life. With um, the break. The break? Nope. <laughs> Saves her life with the break. Yes, Allison. Blooper reel. Um, where was I? Uh, so, take two. Uh, Katniss. <laughs>